This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today we've got a real treat. We've got Nathan Louster, UBC Associate Professor yeah. and author. He was on episode 27 a long time ago when he wrote his book. So his book, The Death and the Life of the Single Family House, Lessons from Vancouver on Building a Livable City. Yeah. So that so he, we had him on episode 27 and he came on to talk about his book at that time. Now, you know, almost, what, close to 75 Seems episodes later, pressing. we're having yeah. them back. Yeah, yeah, we're having them back because the city just unveiled their new Housing Vancouver Strategy 2018 to 2027. Right. And uh, Nathan's been very active on Twitter uh, talking about that. He's following it very closely, so he's he's the guy to speak to. Absolutely. And if you haven't checked out that report, it was released on November 15th, so go check it out on the city website. Yeah, pretty a bold strategy, actually. It's a very bold strategy, and a lot of it we actually predicted right here on this podcast. We've been predicting it for a while, but before we get to that... Maybe we should mention our listings promotion that's running to the end of the year. Absolutely, Matt. We've had a lot of people take advantage of this listings promotion. There is a huge incentive for you as a seller. I'm thinking of one listener specifically right now. Okay. We just put their place on the market. Shout out to Gabrielle Anderson. What a place. Phenomenal loft. Check it out on our website, screenrealestate.com. Absolutely. But yeah, Gabrielle has uh, been fantastic to work with and uh, her partner, Martin, it's been it's been just a treat. Yeah, absolutely. And we've had amazing feedback on that place. So yeah, go check it out online. The photos do not lie. It's a, it's a stunner. Yeah, for sure. 
So Matt, um, before we get to our interview with Nathan, though, a uh, couple other things. You were on CTV National News. I was on CTV National News on uh, Sunday. Yeah. yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, it turns turn- out that CTV is actually, they listen to our podcast. Yeah. and uh, some of them do. Yes, yeah, <laughs> some of them do. They, they were looking for a hot take on that Housing Vancouver strategy, and uh, I gave them a hot take. Yeah, well, they said to us, they said, oh, can one of you join us on Sunday? And, I, and we uh, rock, paper, scissored, and turned out uh, you had the better hair. Yeah. <laughs> the the fuller hairline the full, won the yeah won exactly the exactly so, but you did a great job it was great uh, Braden and I were uh, were were watching proud from the sidelines and uh, yeah. yeah yeah actually it was Brady's birthday so I don't think he was watching proud right. uh, from the sidelines uh, but uh, one of the things I will say about it it's kind of interesting just the process I've never been on uh, the national news but right. uh, they bring you into a room. And it looks like you're, you know, you got the background, all the... It's the war room. You know, the, yeah, but the mountains, the the scenery. But you're also, there's no context. You have an earpiece in and you're staring at literally like a black box. Yeah. So people are commenting, they're, you know, other people are talking and responding to what you're saying. And he just keeps on pointing at the black box, like just keep looking at that black box. <laughs> uh, it was kind of surreal. <laughs> nice. But uh, no, good times. Great. Yeah, if you want, check that out on the CTV site. We might try and get a link to it on our website as well. Uh, Matt, what else we got? One other thing we wanted to mention, Van Mag just came out with their 50 most powerful people in Vancouver this year. And just wanted to say. We didn't make it. <laughs> it was number 46 and number 47, I think. Yeah, but, uh, no, no. Not, not quite, not, not quite yeah, next year. But, uh, but a couple of our guests did. Yeah, absolutely. We had um, we used to just call him David Eby, but now we call him Honorable David Eby. Yeah, he, he um, was he's sat in the Strathcona to tear down with us and uh, great over guy. housing policy uh, not that long ago. Yeah, huge fan of David Eby's and congratulations, David. We were uh, he was number five. Very happy to see <laughs> see David there. Um, also, uh, another close friend who's been actually to the studio as well, uh, Miss Frances uh, Bula. Yeah, no, she was uh, she was on the list as well. So. If you haven't listened to those episodes with David Eby and Francis Bula, go check those out. We get crazy feedback on those episodes specifically, so they're fantastic. Yeah, Francis Bula writes for the Globe and Mail, uh, but she does a lot of freelance work, very active on Twitter. She was number 41. She's the urban um, beat. And she's, yeah, one of the most popular episodes we've ever had because, man, smart lady knows the city inside and out. Absolutely. Matt, a couple things on Housing Vancouver Strategy 2018 to 27 before we get to our interview with Nathan Louster. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, this uh, Housing Vancouver Strategy 2018-2027 struck me as a very bold policy. Right. Uh, 72,000 new units over 10 years. That's basically doubling what the city was was attempting uh, sure. before. A lot of new purpose-built rental. But what struck me most was how the city's really pushing for density on the west side. So moving Absolutely. into areas like Carisdale, uh, Dunbar, and, um, you know, this is something Tom Davidoff talked about uh, last time he was on the program. And, you know, they might be able to thread the needle here because home values over there, you know, the latent value in the land with these zoning changes is going to go up. And sure. presumably a lot of people are going to be happy about that. And it's going to lead to increased density and uh, potentially more affordable housing or at least more housing stock to revitalize a lot of those areas in the city that are, you know, a, a little bit quieter over the last couple of years, a uh, couple 10 years, I guess, uh, with uh, the benchmark home price of those single family homes at like 3.6 million. So. Right. And we should say that we're recording this before we have our interview 
interview with Nathan this afternoon. So yeah. we're super excited to find out how he's interpreting the new report and uh, some of his thoughts around it. Because, you know, he, he wrote the book on the death of the single family house. He literally <laughs> wrote the book on, on what this policy seems to be uh, gunning towards. Exactly. So. And for a further breakdown on that report, uh, check out VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We're going to have a link and some comments uh, in the show notes. Absolutely. So enjoy our talk with Nathan Lelster. Okay, so we're here with Nathan Louster, UBC associate professor and author of The Death and Life of the Single Family House, Lessons from Vancouver on Building a Livable City. How are you doing, Nathan? I'm all right. Great. Thanks well, for reaching out. Yeah, thanks, <laughs> thanks for coming back. This is, uh, it's great to have you yeah, back second on the show. Time, second time on the show. Sure. Um, so Nathan, can you start maybe by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. I'm a sociologist up here at UBC, um, and I mostly do research on housing, uh, covering everything from housing discrimination to housing up in Arviat, way up north, to comparative studies, internationally speaking. But my book, for instance, is really focused here in Vancouver on uh, how the changes that are going on around us, especially the changes outside of the downtown core, are affecting people. Right. And we decided, or we, we were always planning or hoping to have you back, Nathan, but uh, the Housing Vancouver strategy that was released last week seemed like an opportune moment to bring you back on the program. That strategy that was released on Thursday seems to have reignited arguments, at least in the, in the paper this morning, you know, supply and demand arguments and arguments over the direction of the city. Can you just speak a little bit about your thoughts and and more generally, uh, what do you think of the new housing proposal? Sure. Well, first off, of course, last week was just a huge week for housing. Um, so I knew we were going into the uh, BC Nonprofit Housing Association meetings, which you know I presented there as well on my own research. And that's always kind of a big to-do in November. But then, of course, layered on top of that was uh, the city's new housing strategy, and then layered on top of that, of course, I and mean, coming a few days ahead of them, was the national housing policy that's now been rolled out by the Liberal government. So all of these things are, are quite momentous in terms of uh, my world of trying to understand what's going on in housing policy. Things are moving quite fast now in terms of uh, uh, at least really you know, what I think of as, as uh, uh, quite strong words in terms of what we're going to be doing. Of course, we still have to wait and see what happens with all of this, but um, but it was a big week in housing last week. In terms of the city, um, uh, the city's plan uh, in general, I'm broadly supportive of. I think that there this is a real step in the right direction in terms of uh, especially doing things like freeing up uh, some of that land and what I you know like to call the great house reserve, all this <laughs> residential single family land that we've got, um, freeing up some of that land to actually start to uh, build alternatives and um, also to subdivide existing houses that are there and, and develop just newer housing options for people uh, instead of locking all that land up for, for billionaires. Um, and that's it. So that, I think, is really positive. I think moves to try and strengthen uh, uh, renters' rights and uh, look out for renters is really positive. I think moves to encourage and work with the nonprofit sector and senior levels of government to uh, add more social housing stock and more cooperatives and things like that. I think those are all really positive, and I think we're finally seeing the federal government step into the void that they've left 
for many years running now in terms of especially targeting those, that, that nonprofit housing. So I was quite encouraged by last week overall. Great. Well, that's good to hear that you're encouraged. Do you think that, um, is, it, is it enough at this stage, Nathan? You know, it's a good question. Uh, certainly, you know, when we're looking, for instance, at the federal uh, policy, um, the proposal to eliminate, you know, to basically cut homelessness by 50 percent, that's great. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it's not quite as ambitious as ending homelessness. Uh, and, of course, if we have the federal policy now being that housing is a human right, then, then that ultimately should be our goal, of course, to end homelessness. Um, of course, we have already seen the mayor and Vision Vancouver promising to end homelessness for the last several years, and that was a very ambitious goal, and I think they knew that that was ambitious going into it. But instead of ending homelessness, of course, we've seen it uh, most recently climb again. Um, so so the ambitious words are one thing. Uh, seeing actual uh, solutions is another. Um, and with the ambition of the federal government, we're not even all the way yet to, to ending homelessness, which is where I think we ultimately want to be uh, in terms of a step in the right direction. But I think this is a step in the right direction. I want to I wanna be positive about this, uh, and I think they are moving in the right direction as opposed to moving in the wrong direction, which, which by itself is really good. I don't think we're all the way where we need to be yet in terms of the direction they're going, but, you know, Baby steps are, are 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 moving us where I think we want to be, so that's positive. Right. So, you know, I'm. I know you're active on on Twitter, Nathan, and and you know we we watch mainly from the sidelines. But it seemed like there was uh, some people that were pretty surprised at how ambitious these proposals were. Did it catch you by surprise? Yeah, I think it it did catch me a little bit by surprise. I have to admit, in terms of uh, I, I did think that the city had uh, moved further, for instance, in uh, uh, towards recognition that they should look into newer options in single family residential areas than I had expected. Primarily because they've been very tentative in the past, um, and I think you know to some extent too, we saw that in this last by election. There was actually pretty broad support uh, from all the candidates towards densifying single-family neighborhoods, right? So that that in and of itself was probably an important little push to also help set them on their path. And this, of course, was also part of their housing reset. You know, I mean, I I talked to them during their housing reset. They they kindly invited me to give a keynote, and and this was part of what I told them as well. So, I mean, I think they're getting a lot of voices um, and a lot more support as well from organizations like Abundant Housing Vancouver, like Generation Squeeze. To say that these are things that uh, that we should be looking at is is not reserving so much land for millionaires, and I think they've really taken that on board to say, yeah, yeah, okay, maybe that's an important part of our housing strategy. So I was a little bit surprised by how ambitiously they were moving in that direction. Again, it's still not what some people want, which is like four floors and corner stores, right? I mean, in terms of like everywhere in the city. Uh, being allowed, but it's definitely a step towards that direction, um, and I think that's quite positive. What What are your? I, I'm not sure if you had a chance to read Elizabeth Murphy's piece in the Vancouver Sun this morning. Kind of harkened back to a bygone era in my mind. She's talking about the need to preserve heritage buildings. That this proposal is going to undermine local context, and it's too kind of blanket across the board in terms of increased density. That um, increasing density like this actually leads to more speculation and and higher home prices. Like, does any of that resonate with you? 
Uh, you know, I mean, sure, some of it does resonate in terms of the aesthetics. You know, I like old buildings. I think they're cool. Um, Me too. I like the old craftsmen, <laughs> you know. Yeah, so there's a lot of the stylistic things that I quite like. At the same time, I think overall... It's quite reactive. It's kind of kind of reactionary, is it even a better word, in terms of thinking about this this kind of a, a coming out against these plans. And I mean, I think that uh, you know the the study she cites is one that I've already taken issue with in terms of the the study coming out of Quantum Polytechnic. Right, John um, Rose. John Rose's right. study, we were going to ask you about that as well. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's, you know, I mean, it's interesting and it's worth talking about, but I think, you know, there's a couple of issues with the study itself. It, it gets the understanding of, of demand and supply wrong um, as a conceptual level, conceptual level, and then it's got broader issues, I think, with the methods in terms of how it was carried out. And it has raised a really interesting question for me, which is what's going on with the 2001 to 2006 census shift in uh, occupancy by regular residents. And I've been working on figuring that out recently, and I think I've made some headway, but I haven't yet put it up on my blog. And anyway, <laughs> that's a, a somewhat arcane subject matter, but uh, it does speak to the fact that I, I don't think that's a really great study in terms of telling us to not get more supply and add more to our supply. Um, and think about ways to especially get the right kind of supply. And that's, I think, what the city is, is quite focused on with this report, is getting the right kind of supply. And I think that's good. So, so yeah, I think that I'm, I'm not a big fan of, of the general position taken by the uh, Elizabeth Murphy op-ed or the study that she's citing in terms of its accuracy. But, uh, but I'm sympathetic to the general aim of certainly keeping some of our beautiful old buildings. I think some ways to move that, uh, to move towards that, are to A, allow internal subdivision and infill um, to help retain a lot of these older buildings, and B, to also recognize that the city does have to keep growing uh, in terms of you know getting us to an inclusive city, which is, I think, where we want to be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm just interested, I mean, Adam and I read about Rose's study in, you know, in the newspaper. We didn't actually look at the study. Can you just unpack a little bit about how he gets it, the, gets it wrong conceptually? Sure. I mean, I think the, the big issue, and, and to some extent, I've, I don't want to step into the place of economists. I mean, demand and supply is kind of their, their ball game, right. so to speak. But I mean, I think if you want to think of it metaphorically, it's kind of like we're in a boat that's sinking and uh, you can bail out the water and you can try and plug the leak, right? And supply and demand, a lot of us would say you should be doing both of those things. Uh, You should be both bailing out the water and trying to find the leak at the same time. And that moving that over to housing means we should be both addressing supply and addressing demand at the same time and changing our policies to, you know, really reduce speculation and take on board the negative consequences of speculation in the housing market. And I think we're doing things like that through the empty homes tax and other kinds of policies. I think the BC uh, housing affordability proposal put forward by Tom Davidoff would also be a really strong measure that um, somebody like Rose, I think, would think of as on the demand side. But I think we should also be doing things on the supply side. And that's where I think that, yeah, you really do need to be bailing out and looking to plug up the leaks at the same time in terms of getting your your boat back in order. Um, So I don't know if that's a a good enough way to explain it. But but I don't think we can do just one. I don't think we can or should just be doing one of those things. 
Right. I think both is going to be what we need to do. So, uh, so Nathan, so was there anything missing from the Housing Vancouver strategy in your opinion? Like, was there something that you would have liked to have seen addressed? Uh, you know, I mean, it's a good question. I think that they are moving on a lot of fronts at the same time. Um, I think the city certainly could do more in terms of uh, both thinking through wide-scale rezoning of single-family districts, how, what that's going to look like, and, and how they can make it, I guess, a faster and easier and simpler process to introduce things like townhouses and uh, still retain what I think is good about the relatively small lot development that, that I think a lot of us would like to see in the RS areas, but enable a lot more people to, uh, uh, to move in there as of right, rather than having to go through what can often be very contentious um, and long-lasting permitting policies. Um, so I think some of it's about you know trying to figure out those issues. But I think the city, to their credit, is aware of you know they're they're aware of their permit backlog. They, backlog. They've just announced you know that they're going to be hiring some more people to try and clean that up. Uh, but it really is an issue, right? When when it's taking this long for projects to get going, because the city, in many cases, is the is the party holding up uh, progress. Um, that really does slow things down in terms of meeting, I think, a lot of our supply needs. And just in relation to the city, I mean, in the past, they've been critiqued for public consultation and consultation in general. Do you see them as as making improvements in terms of the consultation process around housing? Sure. Yeah, I know. It's a good question. I mean, I think that they're trying. Uh, It is a tricky thing to get right. Um, And I think one of the tricky things that we're trying to figure out how to do more broadly is make sure that in our consultative processes, we're not just speaking to those people who are already in the neighborhood. I think those people need to be heard from. They have legitimate concerns, but we also need to be speaking to people who might want to be in the neighborhood and especially speaking to people who have been most marginalized by the current housing system in terms of getting those people to the table, giving them a voice to say, how can we make things better for you? If you're currently homeless, if you're currently living in really substandard housing, uh, what can we do for you? Um, so those people really need to have, I think, a much bigger voice in uh, our community consultation than they have at the moment. Uh, it's hard to do right, but I think that's where I would be going with with better consultation processes. Yeah, well, it's just it would imagine the the most difficult thing is to get people to turn up, uh, people that are struggling uh, just to make it by in their day to day and don't necessarily see themselves as having a, a stake, although they obviously do. Sure, absolutely. And of course, the easiest people to get to turn up are people who are retired and uh, in many cases don't want their neighborhood to change. Uh, But those people are in many cases already quite advantaged by their neighborhoods and the histories of exclusion that those neighborhoods have pursued, which is why I think, you know, their voices are an important part of the conversation. They should be heard, but they shouldn't be given the ability to, to veto new neighbors. It, it seems to me like there's a, a shift, at least in public perception, around zoning and exclusion. The history of exclusion, we haven't talked a lot about that on this podcast, but uh, particularly on the west side, can you just speak a little bit more about that, uh, about zoning and or exclusionary zoning? Sure. I mean, the whole idea of uh, single-family residential really was largely about exclusion, keeping the city at bay keeping it from encroaching upon these residential areas. So it's kind of built on this history of exclusion. In terms of who is being excluded, most obviously it's historically been the poor, um, anybody who might need denser forms of housing. 
in terms of actually being able to find a home. So being able to afford a large lot and then build a single-family house on it is, is already pretty exclusionary, and it's always been exclusionary. The main difference now is that it's excluding not just the poor, but also the middle class in Vancouver. Nobody can afford single-family homes unless they've inherited a lot of money or are coming over with a great deal of wealth. So I think that's what we're seeing in terms of this exclusionary zoning as a history is that now uh, it's always been exclusionary, but now it's really excluding the middle class, which is to some extent why it's becoming, I think, more and more apparent that this is this is a problem. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it is it is striking when you think about it from that perspective that the benchmark price on the west side is three point six million. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, Nathan, just maybe a final question before we wrap up here. But at the end of this 10-year process, where do you want to see the city of Vancouver? Like, what would be a a success in your mind? Sure, yeah. No, it's a really good question. And I think uh, what I would like to see is a really inclusive and diverse city um, that really um, puts its policies where, you know, its mouth is in terms of being an inclusionary world city, uh, and also being a greener city in terms of, uh, um, you know, reducing the carbon impact, uh, densification will help get us there if we do it in a smart fashion. Uh, it'll help be, make us more inclusionary if, especially if we add a lot more non-market housing as well as, you know, purpose-built rental to what we have been doing, which has been building a lot of, you know, condos. Um, so it'd be great if we have a greater mix that that also enables and supports a much more diverse population, diverse economically, diverse in terms of where they're coming from, and creates out of the city also a better model for what other cities could aspire to in terms of bringing together this kind of diversity and still making it very, very livable. Um, that's what I would like to see. Excellent. Well, very well said. So, uh, Nathan, since you joined us last time, we've got this new segment called the Five Wire five quick questions for you just about Vancouver. Can you stick around for that? <laughs> sure, I can give it a shot. <laughs> okay, excellent. So your your favorite neighborhood in Vancouver? Uh, you know, it's probably still Kitsilano, which is where I used to live. Okay. A favorite bar or restaurant? Oh, boy, that's a tough one. Um, you know, I used to be going to Trafalgar's a lot. It just shut down. I like Mainham's. Mainham is good. Okay. Um, Westside Mansion or downtown Pentos? Uh, neither. <laughs> I want that missing middle. That's what I'm pushing for. <laughs> and where where do you bring somebody from out of town? The first place you bring a guest from out of town? Oh, it's often Granville Island. Granville Island, okay. And and this might, I think I may know the answer to this one, Nathan, but uh, Twitter or Facebook? Oh, God. Uh, you know, I use them differently, but but probably Twitter at this point. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, we are going to say to our listeners, yeah, you're a good guy to follow on Twitter. That's yeah, for sure. follow him for sure. Uh, so Nathan, <laughs> how how can people uh, find out more about what you do or find you on Twitter? <laughs> sure, yeah, you can find me on Twitter under Lausterna, uh, at Lausterna. So it's just a Lauster, my last name, plus my first two letters of my first name. I've also got a blog uh, called Home Free Sociology. And it's on WordPress.com. And, of course, you can look me up here at UBC. And uh, feel free to reach out and drop me a line anytime. I am a public servant. Excellent. (laughs) Right on. Well, thanks so much for your time, Nathan. We we really appreciate it. Sure thing. And thanks again for reaching out. Always happy to talk to you. Okay. Okay. Take care. You too.
So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Nathan Louster, sociologist at University of British Columbia and the author of The Death and Life of the Single Family House. Always fascinating to hear what Nathan has to say. I mean, he's a huge voice in the Vancouver housing market right yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all you have to do is check Twitter out to, to see how popular Nathan is. Him and Jens von Bergman, man. Those are, those are the go- and, and Tom Davidoff. And those Tom are the Davidoff, three, three sure. go-tos for sure. Well, no, it's, it's funny the way that there's been this. And I mean, it's it, we've always had major voices in the Vancouver housing market. But now that affordability and, and density and we have all these huge topics surrounding it and all these voices are emerging and Nathan's definitely one of them. Yeah, one of the important ones for sure. Yeah. What else do we got? We got the VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Yes, absolutely. Join over 17,000 people on our mailing list who are benefiting from VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com, the website. It's amazing. Go check it out. You'll find out lots of stuff there. One thing for sure is the deal of the month, Matt. Yeah, we got the deal of the month. That's where Adam... Myself uh, and John Loomer actually has been helping us with this, combing through listings, looking for the best deal out there. We're going to send that out once a month. We've had people ask. For for years yeah. now. Well, we've had a lot of people looking for deals, and we've decided we're putting it out on the list. We also have resources, pre-sale information. For sure. We got PCS. Private client services, if you're not using PCS, you're standing still while the rest of us are uh, power walking by. You need to you need to sign up on our website. It's it's a great interface. It gives you listings 36 to 72 hours before public MLS, so before it hits the public MLS. And it also gives you sold price and realtor level information. We also got a new app. A lot of people have reached out about this app we've been mentioning. Beta testing right now. Lots of positive feedback. So and reach they're out. They're going to be on the show soon. So the, even these more guys are coming on the show. We're yeah, super so, excited. So reach out if you want to use. Uh, it's definitely the best app I've seen. Really, just go to our website and sign up for the best resources in real estate and the latest technologies because that's what we're doing. That's what we do here at the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. So have a great week, guys. And oh, one last thing, Matt. How can people reach you? 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. And Brady D. Ah, oh, Brady, you're not at your mic again. This guy, this is, this is un- just, all you got to do is just sit just at your mic. Show you up do, and have a microphone. Show up and have a microphone. Forgot what spot was mine. We can't hear you. <laughs> anyway, uh, info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. For Have a great day. week, guys, and uh, we'll check you out next Wednesday. Take care. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. This podcast is sponsored by Common Ground Consulting. Are you developing in the Lower Mainland? Common Ground Consulting is a development management and consulting company with experience in single family, townhouses, multifamily, and commercial developments. What I love about Common Ground, Adam, is they manage the whole development process from due diligence and feasibility reports for initial purchase of land to completing rezoning, development permits, and building permits. They streamline the whole process with strong relationships with sub-consultants and municipalities and a deep understanding of all city requirements. 
Common Ground Consulting. Feasibility and efficiency prioritized every step of the way. Learn more at commonground-consulting.com or 604-807-6419. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. 